Well, welcome, friends. You are on The Liberty Show with Kevin Fortune. I am Kevin Fortune, the host of The Liberty Show. We welcome you tonight. Now, I know you're all wondering, why would you start the show off with that song? Because it's February, and that means it's Black History Month. And we thought that we would have a Black History-themed podcast that deals with the theme of liberty. And uh, I thought about uh, reparations to slavery, which was always a really good, interesting topic, especially now with a lot of the uh, presidential candidates. Um, and as I begin to think of that song, uh, begin to really, really resonate with me how important this, this subject is. But first, I want to thank you guys for tuning in. And I want to remind everyone to uh, watch us on uh, our YouTube channel. Go to YouTube.com and The Liberty Show with Kevin Fortune. Please subscribe. Hit the like button and leave a comment. Also, share it with your friends. Invite them to subscribe. We need subscribers. We need likes. And we would love to hear your comments. Also, you can follow us on Instagram. You can also like us on Facebook. Now, if you want to be an advertiser or if you need to get in contact with us for any reason, you can go to info at thelibertyshow.us. That's info at thelibertyshow.us. Now, for tonight's podcast, once again, being Black History Month, we thought of the theme of reparations to slavery. But as I begin to do research and investigate this subject, I begin to realize it's more than just reparations for just slavery. So I changed the title to Reparations for Slavery and Beyond. Because even after slavery ended, there was so much injustice, so much thievery, so much uh, exploitation, so much um, just a uh, violation of people's property rights and rights that we also need to, uh, that people need to be held accountable for. So we're going to talk about some of these things tonight. But I want to come from the point uh, of liberty. One of the main principles of liberty is that there's no free lunch. So how can you work people for free? How can you take their land and don't pay them for it? How can you uh, have sex with your slave women for free? Any married men out there? You know that sex is not free, but that's a whole nother show. But anyway, uh, how can you take people's kids? How can you take people's products? How can you take people's businesses like in Greenwood in 1921, just burn down people's business, loot people's business, and don't compensate them for it? Also, another big principle of liberty is the non-aggression principle, the principle that uh, you can't use force. So you can't force people to, to, to do labor. You can't force someone, your slave, to marry you. You can't force someone to, to do things you don't want them to do. Also, you, you don't violate people's property rights. So how can you violate people's bodies by beating them, torturing them, raping them, molesting them, selling them? How can you do these things in the name of liberty? Also, another principle of liberty is limited government. Yet, after uh, slavery, the Jim Crow laws and a lot of the injustice, the redlining, the, the um, keeping uh, people of color out of education and better jobs, it was all sanctioned by the government. So all of these things violate everything that we stand for in this so-called land of liberty. So we want to talk about some of these things tonight. But of course, we want to go to you the, the citizens of our country, the public, and we want to hear what you have to say. And like we do on the Liberty Show, we go beneath the surface and we talk about what other people do not want to talk about and say what other people don't say. So let's get started. Let's get started with my main man, DK, not the murderer, DK, but Damon Kennedy from Stockbridge, Georgia. Damon, you're on the Liberty Show. Hey, how you doing? How you doing, Kev? Good evening. Hey, so I want to kind of, you know, start, you know, that lead off and kind of talk about reparations. And I think that from a black perspective, it, it looks like it's kind of a common sense type situation. But in America, we have a melting pot of, of people, cultures, people that came from different countries. And I think there's a lot of times a misconception in that black people here, you know, if we talk about reparations, some people's eyes glaze over and say, oh, here we go again. But it's a situation where it's really not that complicated and it shouldn't be that contentious of an issue when you look at it from the perspective of, and I think we, we addressed this kind of on the last podcast, when you are freed from slavery, free to do what? If nothing is given to you from the, if your labor was being extracted from you for free and you were doing it for free, all of a sudden you're free, but with, with no 
compensation or no restitution from what you just came from, what do you, what can you really do with that? And so I, I, I kind of wanted that lead off from the perspective of some people today would say, well, why are you just not bringing it up? And it's not just not being brought up. Okay. Immediately post-slavery in 1865, there was what's called the gag rule of 1865, which basically said anybody in the house of representatives or Congress could not discuss reparations for slavery. So when we look at it from that perspective, if, if, Reparations had been done immediately post-slavery. We're not having this podcast right now. We're not having the, the, some of the contentious uh, debates that we have in America today because it would have been handled at that point, and then anything moving forward would have been it would have been squared. But it was never fully acknowledged the fact that restitution does need to be paid for slavery, and therein lies the problem. So if we start from the start from the uh, the the beginning and move forward again, like I said, once you had the gag rule of 1865. Then you had um, you had a lot of once you had Jim Crow, you've got to understand that there was no point in time during Jim Crow segregation when black folks felt empowered to to bring up the issue of reparations because there was there was nothing for a black person to be lynched, beaten, just for even you know having the audacity to speak to a white person. So we got to understand the, the context of history. You cannot go back in history and say, well, black folks felt empowered during Jim Crow segregation to bring up the, the idea of reparations. So just now fast forward till now, society has changed a lot in, in, in to where we have social media. We have the ability to, for information to go just at warp speed and people can actually see for them for themselves a lot of the injustices that were done throughout history that were never really rectified. So when we look at it's, again, it's a really a yes or no question. It should reparations be, be looked at? And the answer is, once slavery was done, was restitution paid to the slaves? The answer is no. So if we look at that from that simple perspective, it needs to be paid. It's a debt owed. If somebody robs your house today, we can't fast forward till 20 years from now. You just forget like it ever happened. No. If you never re- paid me restitution, you still owe me. But time, David, time, we, couldn't we just say I'm sorry and be, isn't that enough? Well, no, because here's the thing. So when we look at reparations, it is not it is not independent of black people. America has paid restitution, has paid reparations before. It has paid reparations to Native Americans in, in various forms. It has paid reparations to Japanese Americans for the internment camps uh, during World War II. Which at that time, it was about $20,000 per, per Japanese American, and the government gave an apology. Now, what in the, from the perspective of black people, what the government feels they can do is just merely apologize for to black people, and that be enough. It, it's got to be both. If, if the Japanese were able to pay reparations, and so should black people. Because when you really look at it from the perspective of through the, for the entire duration of this country, even when black people have not been acknowledged as full Americans, even though they, they've been here since its inception, black people have at every, during every single war, you cannot identify a war in the United States of America's history that black people have not have not participated in. Even when they weren't given their, their God-given rights as Americans, they still fought with the idea under the pretense, okay, I'm going to suck it up for the team. Eventually, they're going to see me as a regular American just like them. But that day, had never, that day never came. Because during World War II, just as an example, it's not that, not that far removed. There were black men that came back from World War II that were lynched. In uniform, by the way, so it's not like, you know, we can't use the excuse. Well, you know, it was just, you know, a circumstance. No, the men were in uniform and lynched by fellow, quote unquote, fellow Americans. So when we look at that and then also too, the um, Jews were paid restitution or reparations in America. And uh, I think it was 2012, uh, Vice President Joe Biden paid $12 million in assistance to Holocaust survivors. And the money was given under the pretense to help, quote unquote, the uh, quarter of whom live below the poverty line. And so when we look at it, black people are in that same boat um, in that nothing has really fully been done to pay forward what was done during slavery. Well, Damon, let me make a comment. Then I got a quick question for you before you go. Um, first of all, to um, help educate people, there were some reparations paying to slave right after, you know, Sherman, of course gave his famous mule and 40 acres. And a few people, uh, South Carolina, Georgia, and in Florida, about a thousand slaves actually received that. But just to let people know, within four months, it was taken back from them. 
it was stolen, their mule was taken, their land was taken. And it's just really funny, which sounds so much like America and our government. They'll give you something, then take it back. But my question for you, Damon, I know you've done some research. Help uh, some of our listeners to know that uh, slaves were not paid restitution, but some of the slave owners, like in D.C., were. Can you comment on that? Well, yeah, they, I mean, it, that's pretty much it. There's nothing more really that needs to be said. The, the After the slavery was done, the slave owners were paid restitution for based on what their quote-unquote income was going to be that they lost because of slavery. So one cannot say that you cannot pay the slave, the, the descendants of the slaves when the slave owners were paid. Now, another, another thing that needs to be taken into account is when we talk about the how and the why which, would reparations be, be paid, we've, we've then got to look back and say, well, if, slave, if uh, reparations were not to be paid, then the companies that existed at the time that received income from slavery, well, what are we doing with that? Because what can't be, you can't have ill-gotten gains and you get to keep those ill-gotten gains. If I commit a crime and I, you can't just say that I get to live off the money that I, I basically stole because then what's, what's the punishment for that? So when we look at it, there are a number of companies. And if you look at it, basically any, any company, a bank or a life insurance company that exists today that says they existed 120 plus, 150 plus years ago, you can pretty much assume they got a lot of their money from slavery. So they were able to exist at a time and also come through the Great Depression, all that good stuff, on the backs of revenue they made from slavery. So you, you've got that, plus you've got a lot of the families that may have, um, families may have owned slaves. And so they, the ill-gotten gains from slavery, they were able to pass along that money from generation to generation. And so, again, if reparations aren't going to get paid, then something's got to get done with that money that was ill-gotten gains, basically. And that, that's always the thing that people want to kind of, you know, they want to kind of muddy the waters. If, re if restitution is not going to get paid to the slaves, then what about the generational wealth that was created because of slavery? And that's, that's just not right. And so another thing is when we talk about what is the number for reparations, uh, Dr. Claude Anderson, I would highly recommend a book to everybody. It's a great book. Um, it basically has in-depth. Um, it's a, it's a, a historian. His name is Dr. Claude Anderson. The book is called Black Labor, White Wealth. And it has all sorts of uh, information from, again, from slavery on forward with the documentation of a lot of the, the, um, the uh, codified laws in place that were used to keep black Americans from gaining it traction into the American, into the American way of life. Um, so when we look at it, the slavery number, to kind of go back to it, was 15 to $20 trillion is what he was saying would, would be the number based upon cost, you know, cost of living increases, um, inflation, all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. Now, to kind of keep it in context, the total U.S. GDP is $21.439 million. So basically, the entirety of the, of the United States economy would be that. But when you think about it, it, it makes sense because what, if not for slavery, the United States would not have been able to build um, from, from the agricultural, from the manufacturing, everything kind of uh, basically was started because of slavery. So we've got to understand that the number is big because the, you fast forward, we're the greatest, the most powerful, richest country on the face of the earth because of the fact that you had to pay nobody any money. If I've got a business, I start today, I don't have to pay anybody, so I can be a trillionaire, you know? I always tell people uh, free markets did not mean free labor. And I think that sometimes we, we think of that. But thank you so much, Damon. We're going to move on. We don't want to be seem like we're biased or whatever. So I have another great friend of mine, Mr. Jay Strickland. And he is, well, he says he's white. I don't know. I question that. But anyway, his skin looks a little lighter than mine. But anyway, Jay, let's hear what you have to say. As a white American citizen, what do you think of rep paying reparations for slavery or beyond? Oh, good evening, and uh, thanks for having me on, uh, Kevin. Um, you know, I first want to say uh, that it's it's always an honor and pleasure uh, to have a good conversation um, with uh, my friends here. You know, as as if you've listened to uh, Damon there, uh, he's a well-informed, well-educated person, and um, it I I respectfully want to debate with him a little bit around the concepts, right? Uh, so I think, you know, I, I support the spirit of reparations, right? Um, the question is the mechanics, 
right? So there's no doubt that if, you know, uh, somebody participated in the system of slavery, they bear guilt, right? But the question we have to ask ourselves is, um, do we hold any sons uh, responsible for the sins of their fathers, right? Well, what if the sons are still so, getting fruit and uh, benefits from the sins of their fathers? Because, like Damon brought out so, a good point, um, there are companies. You know, I know I, I majored in uh, finance. There are companies that are now stockbrokers or commodities brokers that you know sell gold and platinum and steel, but they started off selling uh, cotton and black bodies, and that's how they made their billions. Right. And a lot of families now that invest in the stock market they made their money to invest through this one thing i found that i thought was so fascinating uh even georgetown university you know they actually had well you know was uh went broke so in order to keep the school open they actually sold so many slaves that they owned just to keep the school open and i was like are you serious so you know there, there are lots of lots of links and so i do understand what you say you know like should i hold jay uh, responsible for something his great-great-grandfather did, but if Jay is still getting the benefits, and that is one thing when you go past slavery, even with the Jim Crow, um, when you deny Blacks work or education and all of these type of things, that some of it still happened in the day. So does that make sense, Jay? It, it goes... It does. Uh, so, you know, I definitely agree with, with that concept, and that's where I think no matter what we do, um, we have to figure out how the mechanics of it right okay because let's say you know somebody there is examples of people who generationally had a difference in their outcome right and still stand to profit but you know um uh, there's a growing divide in this country right there's a growing divide between uh people who are well off and people who are lower income and that's only going to continue to grow as we move into the future with automation and it's it's no longer an industrialized country right as where we we as we grow in gdp there will be a proportional growth in jobs um in post-industrialization we're looking at as we continue to modernize then we'll continue to lose jobs on net um for low-income and uneducated people so maybe somebody's great-grandfather did participate in something but now that person's dirt poor Right. And then if you look at, you know, what was the value of five dollars, you know, and and what what does that mean going forward? You're a finance major. You understand that's a huge sum of money, 100, 200 years later. Right. So what so, about our Nate, Jay? What about the nation as a whole, our society? The fact that we've um, held people back, kept them, you know, we've kept a lot of people poor. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So do we not be held accountable for that? Or we just say, oh, I'm so sorry, and just keep on going? No, I, 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 this, is, this is what I'm saying. It's like, I totally agree with holding people accountable. The question is, how? How do we do it in an equitable and just manner? Well, oh, that's going to be, I'm not going to, I'm going to cut you off there. I'm not going to cut you off, but we're going to answer that throughout the night. Because I think that that's where a lot of people get frustrated or we cloud the thing with the how. But we've had how how to pay the Indians, how to pay the Japanese, how to pay the Jewish. You know, when we didn't, we our country's already broke. But we find billions and trillions of dollars to fight these asinine wars. You agree? Right. We find money to bail out corporations on Wall Street. You know, we find money. We spend four million dollars um, studying the mating habits of worms at the University of Wisconsin. You know, we find money for all to go to the moon. So surely we could find money for this. But thank you, Jay. I can always count on you. Any last comments? No, I just want to say, you know, um, whatever solution we come to and, and whatever we do, we need to be forward looking. You know, I'd, I would always say that I would rather see in somebody, instead of someone getting a five, you know, $50 payment and a thank you note, you know, um, how do we generationally make a difference? You know, what, what thing can we actually do that will sustainably change the outcomes? Um, and it's especially considering how unjust uh, American society is today. Well, I can, I totally agree with you. I love that comment. But I could tell you one thing that will not uh, sustainably do generations is doing nothing. 
you know, right. once again, just sitting around doing nothing, not talking about it, not dealing with it is definitely not the answer. But thank you, Jay. I can always count on you. You're my favorite almost white guy. No. <laughs> but uh, thank you for your opinion. I, I hate you to put you on the spot because I know you're not the traditional type of um, Southern Georgia type person, but we need everyone's aspect. So let's now get a female point of view. We've got some brilliant women out there in the country. So we're going to go to Miss um, Quincy Blair in Atlanta, Georgia. Quincy, let us hear what you have to say from a female perspective. Hi, Kevin. Um, so again, thank you for having me tonight. Um, so what I th so before we can, I think before, like you said, Jay, before we can even get into the mechanics of thinking about reparations, um, because we do have a Congress who won't even still look into the issue of reparations. Um, as a pre-law student, I'm really interested in looking, I'm really interested in looking um, at the case for reparations from a legal and historical standpoint. And so it's interesting. Um, so first of all, I think we must first acknowledge that the first black Supreme Court justice wasn't appointed, appointed to the court until 1967, which means that for nearly 200 years or so, give or take, from the conception of our constitution, we've had an all white Supreme Court rule on decisions that have had a direct and obviously sometimes detrimental effect on non-white citizens. And so it's not even until the point until this point that we even start seeing dissenting opinions made by um, obviously Justice Chief, Chief Justice Marshall um, that attempts to argue for the remedying of past wrongs made against African-Americans. So in trying to find court cases to serve as the precedent for case for reparations, the material is um, somewhat lacking because the issues and concerns for communities of color weren't at the fore of America's consciences for the majority of our history, and I would even argue still to this day. Um, because although there is, there is one lawsuit filed by one woman, Henrietta, Henrietta Wood, she was a former slave who was compensated for damages and for lost wages, but only because she was kidnapped, and so therefore it was viewed as being wrongly enslaved. So this was an extremely exceptional case because all other forms of slavery, all other instances of slavery were viewed at legal at this point. So it's not until much, much later in our history that people can even truly use the courts to file against slavery. And what we find in these court cases that again are made much, much later for um, reparations is this idea that people today are no longer directly affected um, by the consequences of slavery. But there's a really interesting article by Ta-Nehisi Coates called their case for reparations. And he actually ties the loss of wages during slavery to the lynchings of reconstruction, to the educational limit limitations of Jim Crow, to the wealth inequality, um, like Damon was saying earlier, that we're seeing today. Um, and so while those people living today may not have necessarily been directly affected by slavery, there are communities of color who are still disproportionately affected by it. And everything, like you said in your title, reparations and beyond from healthcare to housing, to education, to the prison system today. And so I guess the overall point that I'm trying to make is that although in the context of our history, we have been denied from being able to adequately use the courts to make a case for reparations and to seek restitution, um, while those effects were more immediate because of the way that the law was defined and the racial composition of those who are sitting on the courts and making these decisions, it doesn't necessarily mean that those effects still aren't felt today. And it just means that we need to have a more expansive view of how we can apply history and how we can apply precedent to be able to make the case for reparations. Well, Quincy, you made a, oh, I could tell you, smart women. I, <laughs> I tell you, you made, you started off with such a profound statement that, you know, how do you deal with something when, when all of the justice system is like 100% white for hundreds of years, when the Congress and all of the powers that be who are making the decisions, who are making the rules, you know, are all white, you know, they're not going to incriminate and try themselves. It, it was really, you know, I, I hadn't thought of that. That was such a profound thing. Thank you so much. You, you just brought such a great perspective to this. So now uh, we've been down south a lot. Let's go up north, uh, up into Wisconsin. Uh, we, we want to get another point of view. There's another almost white guy named Jared. Jared, let's hear what you got to say about reparations in Madison, Wisconsin. Hi, Kevin. Thanks for having me on here again. Um, yeah, I think this is definitely a, a 
important and delicate topics. And so I'm glad we're having this uh, conversation to work out some of the details and get a lot of different perspectives. Uh, I, I've really appreciated all the input people have given so far. I think it's been really well informed and uh, bringing in a lot of different uh, features to this very complicated historical issue. Um, I do, however, have some similar concerns to, to Jay about uh, certain pragmatic aspects of, of reparations. I mean, even if, even when we're having discussions about something like uh, white privilege, which is uh, a more baseline, simpler uh, concept to navigate than this entire history of of reparations that that's still a very divisive issue with people um, and so I can very well see uh, if we instituted a large reparations program through the government uh, all these poor white people who don't have uh, experience with knowing all this history and uh, being able to really empathize being really frustrated seeing their their black neighbors uh, get lifted out of some of these really unfortunate circumstances of poverty because of this program and feeling like they've been uh, left uh, left with nothing. Um, and in, a, in the day and age where we're having more and more polarizing conversations about race, I, I worry that that could contribute to greater polarization uh, at times. Um, so, I mean, of course, that's not a insurmountable issue, but I think that's one of those aspects where we need to need to tread carefully and uh, really make sure we're we're putting in the the proper sociological work to to make sure that this isn't something that just becomes another another issue that people are more and more divided over. Um, or something to fight over. Yeah. Okay. But let me, let me, I, I enjoy your comment. I, you guys are also smart. You just, you know, I'm just like, oh my goodness, I can talk to intelligent people. Um, but you made one comment that I wanted to challenge you and I love, ch I love challenging you, Gary. <laughs> um, <laughs> you said it's complicated, but is it really that complicated or do we make it complicated? And I do challenge that because mm. some things aren't as complicated as we make them. You know, anything that I've, and, and I think historically in our nation, anything we don't really want to deal with, we make complicated. You know, right. uh, something we don't agree with or we don't want to face up to, we, we think it's really complicated. It wasn't that complicated to uh, lynch people, to, you know, mm. work people for free. It wasn't that complicated to take people's land and not, you know, it, it really wasn't that complicated, but it's complicated to to admit it and to deal with it. And that just, yes. you know, I, I just challenge that, you know, for something for us to process. But uh, per your second thing, I really think that that was very fascinating um, because that's something I've studied, social economics and how a lot of white people do view. They are very, very intimidated by blacks, jealous of them or whatever. So that would be an issue. But I think it's one issue that's already there. They already, a lot of uh, poor whites, uh, which something I didn't learn till I went and took a history class that most of the racism in our country is from poor whites and the, the lower class whites because, um, you know, and the uneducated whites, the what we call some maybe not to stereotype, but some of the backwoods whites type people. Um, they already are so, you know, you mentioned any kind of welfare program or any kind of social program, you know, to bless people, and they just get so offended. But once again, I want to make sure that we know we're not just talking about welfare. We're talking about paying right. people what they deserve. How would you white, black, polka dot, green, or paisley like to go to work and not get paid? You know, um, how would you like for somebody just to take your kids and sell them down the street? And this is something that we we just get a little distracted on you know um how would you like somebody to come and just take your business and burn it to the ground and and they don't pay you any kind of insurance you know reparations or you know restitution for it or mm -hmm. rob you of your land or your gold and and nothing's done so so i just want to you know those are really great topics that you came up with but once uh, again what i was thinking of is that this topic, you know, as I'm saying, is not is more about economics, is about the liberty principle, um, not just about race. But in reality, we cannot deny that it did have something to do with race, that these were black people and people of color. And 
it wasn't just during slavery, even afterwards, to make sure that these people were kept down and oppressed. So let's go to another friend of mine who is an expert on that race issue and has got a lot to say about it, Mr. Tevin. Tevi, you're on the Liberty Show. What do you have to say, Hey, Kevin. Friend? So, um, I, I mean, the callers, all of you all made excellent points. I, I mean, I am amazed at all the information that you all brought up um, in this conversation. I will add um, one thing is as we talk about reparations and restitution for slavery and all the damage, physical damage that was um, brought about through that whole process, um, we also have to think about not just the physical scars, but also the psychological scars. Mm, that, say um, that again, brother. <laughs> psychological scars that were inflicted on African Americans. Um, I was, I'm just finishing up a book called um, Sexuality and Slavery, Reclaiming Intimate Histories in the Americas. And it's a book um, that was written and it has different essays by different scholars and, and um, professors detailing the um, intimate and personal stories of uh, slaves during the antebellum period and what they initially had to deal with within that period and survive. So, um, you know, with the talk of, you know, financial restitution, it is great, but we also need to also consider the psychological effects of what transpired um, over these people and how that was perpetuated after that particular period and some of the pathologies that were created by um, lack of resources and deprivation of a lot of things that we needed within the Black community to grow and thrive, um, but were um, somewhat taken at our advantage and at our expense. And that is also something that I think as we make our um, conversation, as we talk about this with reparations, we do need to include, you know, other issues, um, not just on the physical surface, but um, internal surface as well. Well, that is once again an awesome point. You guys are just like, oh my goodness, I'm just so, I don't want to say proud of you, I'm just so amazed because everyone's point is just really opening in thoughts. And, and I just really, oh man, I just, you got me thinking, Tevin, because I tell you, you know, the, the physical, the financial and all of that, but none of that can equate to the psychological and emotional scars of being mistreated or raped or having your child torn from your breast. Or, you know, I was reading a story of how um, a black uh, slave or even some of the mammies after slavery had to nurse the white, um, their owners or, or, or bosses, masters, you know, or employers, kids first. And then sometimes there's not even any milk left for their own children. And, you know, but the, the, the rape of women, and I had a great conversation with my uh, friend at work the other day who's in the LGBT community of black men being emasculated by being sodomized or being used as sex toys for, um, you know, um, their, their, uh, their owner's children or different things. Uh, these right. things, you know, it, it's just hard to even fathom mentally. And, right. and, you know, how do you even put a dollar amount on that? How do you even put uh, a thing on that? But like, once again, uh, you know, just the fact that this was done to to black people, to people of color. Can you comment on that, uh, Tevin? Because a lot of times, you know, like for me, I used to always say, well, it doesn't matter what color you were. You shouldn't have worked people for free. But because they were people of color and we still are people of color and there still are systems in place to try to keep people of color down or to oppress them. So what do you think about that? The fact that this was done to uh, black people, people of color, African uh, uh, descent? Um, it was by no mistake that this was done um, against this. This atrocity was done against people of color. Um, with the formulation of this country, slavery is intrinsically woven into the system. You know, because the system had to have an economy, and especially in the southern region, agriculture with the cotton and certain resources um, within that um, space was utilized to um, make a large portion of money. They had to have people to work that. And like I said, they found that those um, 
wanting individuals in their eyes um, in the continent of Africa. And with that, they started to formulate a system, you know, and with the slave Atlantic, um, um, slave, um, Atlantic slave trade in the African diaspora, they took these people from certain uh, countries off the continent of Africa, bringing them to the New World, and really um, basically subjecting them to the most horrendous torture um, and forcing them into forced labor without giving them any form of restitution. Um, and after that, you know, we, we have, of course, with a civil war that breaks out in 1865, the Emancipation Proclamation. But um, after that, once that proclamation, quote unquote, was, was, was made, you know, slaves are free. And um, as, as Damien pointed out, but free to what? You're not, you don't have anything. You don't have any land. You don't have any money. Um, you have this newfound freedom. And then on top of that, you're just coming out of a period where you've been brutalized. Um, you've been um, tormented. You've seen horrendous uh, 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 scenes of just a whole lot of pain and misery. So what do you do with that? You know, the, the, the yes, you have freedom, but again, freedom to do what? And it, it's really the, the the aspect of it is really bleak because the slaves had that freedom, but they didn't have what they needed to actually build a life for themselves that could be potentially wholesome and something to really pass along to their children and their children's children and, and generations um, yet unborn. So, And let me comment on the uh, piggyback. You know, you said a lot of them didn't have, but you know, there were actually a lot of free blacks and a lot of what we would call, I would say in a, in a, um, a generic word, uh, sense of wealthy blacks, but there were blacks that owned land, that owned planted. There were blacks, but it was Correct. all taken yeah. from them. It was stolen right. from them. And we right. don't want to, Talk about there were black blacksmiths that had um, businesses, but it was they, it was stolen from them. Their equipment, their right. machinery, their land, their their gold. There were blacks that had money in right. banks. It was all taken from them. They went to the bank and said, "Your house closed. You know, we just took your money." And a lot of these things Brian, we don't. Uh huh. No, no, no. You you go ahead. Yeah. No, I just want to say that because there were you know even you know the ones who had property and wealth, it was just stolen from them and, and without any kind of compensation, you know? And if, if I go out and rob a person today, especially a white person, they're gonna hold me accountable. Not only are they gonna put me in jail, but there's gonna be some restitution. So we've got people that we have documented have robbed, like like I, I love Damon and I working on the thing with Tulsa and Greenwood, um, 1921, where they burned 32 blocks of black businesses, just, just looted them first, and then burned them to the ground, destroyed them, took people's land, you know, and, and just nothing said, nothing's done. And like right. uh, um, Quincy even mentioned, you know, uh, they, they've just got the city council of Tulsa after 99 years to even talk about it. They wouldn't even talk about right. it. Right. Yeah. And I mean, we, we also saw this incident as well, this rioting massacre um, a few years after that in 1923 in Florida, Rosewood. Um, yeah. Initiated by a, of course, a rumored um, experience with the between a black man and a white woman, to where um, the riots um, they started to go through the black community, killing multiple people, um, destroying property, and the descendants of those individuals. After that, again, they didn't receive anything. Right. You know, so we, oh, we, we see this. Re- it even even through the um, exhibit that we had at the National Center for Civil and Human Rights, um, the Red Summer of 1919, where we're dealing with the rioting after the First World War when African Americans who just were fighting in a war for this country, the United States, are now being attacked in different um, cities um, across the state. You know, because they're returning home and there is this this paranoia 
uh, the fact that, you know, African-Americans uh, will be um, somewhat getting out of their place because they've experienced, they've had new experiences in certain countries like France where issues like segregation was not prominent. And then you're coming back to the United States after fighting, you know, for freedom and democracy and returning back and having to go through a back door. Um, well, well, Tevin, once again, great, great points. And just one thing I want to piggyback and we're going to move on. And that you mentioned like the murders and, you know, I think about it, but how do you even put a price on life? So many um, fathers were killed. So many mothers right. were killed. So many people's right. kids were just killed. And, you know, you know, it's easy to, to worry about the mechanics and the, the and I'm not down in jail. I'm just saying, because I too have, you know, question, how are you going to do this? How, but we figure out how to do everything else. And right. you know, we can figure out how to go to the moon. We can figure out how to um, do, uh, change people's genders. We, we, we've got all right. kinds of things. Surely and, and we what can I do wanna, figure that out. Right. And what I do want to say is, you know, let's not forget, you know, yes, this is our history, but this is still transpiring even today. So, you know, the fight, True. this, I guess, still continues on today. You know, we are somewhat living in history and we're making history as we, as we go from day to day. Well, I agree. Thank you so much. We're going to move on to another one of my main men. This, um, my, my main researcher. And I just want to add once again, guys, uh, thank you for um, watching uh, the Liberty Show on YouTube. And go to YouTube, hit the subscribe button, hit the like button, and leave a comment. Share it with your friends. Also, like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. If you want to contact us, you can email us at info at thelibertyshow.us. But also, um, thinking of Tim, is like, you know, he's cool. He works, but not for free. He works for Long Island Iced Teas. Well, I have to pay for those iced teas. Though the show, uh, realistically, uh, we do need support. So you can be a patron of The Liberty Show. Go to patreon.com forward slash The Liberty Show. It's only $1.25 per week, which is only $5 a month. We need some support so that we can get camera equipment so you can see us, so that we can come to your city and that we can also help put this... Um, liberty that we're talking about into action so go to www.patreon.com forward slash the liberty show and help us promote liberty now let's go to mr tim smith go ahead tim you're on the liberty show thank you hey shout out to my buddies we got jay strickland on the phone hello jay and of course we have the i don't even know how to describe damon he is an individual with such a great mind. Shout out to Damon. Quincy, it's great to hear your voice. I truly appreciate it what, um, or appreciate what you said earlier. Um, very eloquent, thank you so much. So, listen to the callers. It was really, really interesting. I just wanna make a, a quick point if I may. So my dad is Shinnecock. Um, Born and raised on a reservation, my paternal side of the family, of course, is Shinnecock. This is a Native American tribe in the state of New York. I think they would take issue with this, this idea that uh, restitution has been made. And, and I, I get where folks are coming from that the Native Americans received restitution. I don't agree with that. And the reason why I don't agree with that is you can't give someone something that was already theirs and then claim that you've made them whole. And when I think of restitution, restitution being made, I think of being made whole. If you break into my house and you knock down my door and you steal my television, if you come back to me and you say, listen, I'm, I, I, I feel bad for that. Uh, here's a 13 inch television and here's this utility door that I got from down the street. That's not making me whole. And, and that's my issue with the, the, the argument, I, and I understand where people are coming from, that the Native Americans have been made whole. The Native Americans haven't been made whole. This idea of restitution that's been paid to, to them is simply a token. And this is the same thing that when we get into um, Black Americans here in this country, and you talk about restitution being made, reparations being made to us, the politicians love, love. And if you look at the Democrats, 
only one, and I think it was Cory Booker, but the rest of them, when they talk about reparations being made to black folks, what is it that they consider reparations? They consider reparations to be welfare. Welfare is not reparations. If you do a person an individual harm, you need to make that person whole. When we look at slavery and people, I, I have a, a saying, slavery never ended, only the scenery has changed. I'm of the opinion that slavery hasn't ended. The only thing that's ended is that now we're on a different part of the plantation, but it's a plantation nonetheless. And if we look at the history of slavery, so let's, let's look at slavery as a whole. Folks needed other folks to supply them labor. And if you're a business owner or say business, you know, labor is the most, it's the greatest expense that any business is going to have to bear. These folks said, hey, we need some labor for these crops. We wanna grow some cotton, we wanna grow corn, we wanna grow soybeans, what have you. Where are we gonna get this labor from? So they went and got slaves to work their fields, their plantations. After slavery, quote unquote, ended, they still needed labor. So they said, listen, we need this labor. Now we've got all these black folks who used to work for us for free. They're looking at us like, hey, we need to give them a paycheck. Why should we give them a paycheck? Why don't we just re-envision this system of slavery? So then they created what were called black codes, also known as black laws. 1865. I want to read an excerpt on black laws because whoever wrote this did an excellent job writing it. It states, the black codes enacted immediately after the American Civil War, though varying from state to state, were all intended to secure a steady supply of cheap labor and all continued to assume the inferiority of the freed slaves. There were vagrancy laws that declared a black person to be a vagrant if unemployed and without permanent residence. So now you've kicked these people to the curb, so to speak, because you've ended slavery. You have not made them whole. They worked for you for free. You violated them, both their bodies, their psyches. You basically destroyed these people. And now you want them to come back and work for you because you need cheap labor. So you create, and when I say you, if we're gonna be honest about this thing, White folks created these laws so that they could get back that free labor. So now they've created these asinine laws. Well, if you're unemployed, well, of course I'm unemployed. I was working as a slave. What the hell am I supposed to do? <laughs> so it's yeah. absurd. It's absurd. But that's the way the law works. We have absurd laws because we need free labor. Don't want to jump the gun on this. So they create these stupid, silly, asinine laws. And here's the verbiage of one. This is one from Mississippi. Be it further enacted that all freed men, freed Negroes, and mulattoes in this state over the age of 18 years old, found on the second Monday in January 1866 or thereafter with no lawful employment or business. How the hell are they supposed to have a business? Because one, you just stole all of the capital that they had, which was their, the, 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 their, 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 their physical labor. And if you've enacted laws that Jimmy, who used to be a slave, can no longer plow fields for a fee, how is he going to have a business? So let's continue. Or found unlawfully assembling themselves together either in the day or nighttime, and all white persons so assembling with freedmen, free Negroes, or mulattoes, or usually associating with freedmen, free Negroes, or mulattoes on terms of equality, or living in adultery, or fornication with a freed woman, free Negro, or mulatto, shall be deemed vagrants. And of conviction, therefore, shall be fined in the sum of not exceeding, in the case of freedom, of, of freedmen, excuse me, free Negro, or mulatto. So now these laws are enacted. These laws aren't enacted because they want free labor. So now these black folks, if they're just hanging out, can now be rounded up. And remember, this isn't anything new. 
This is happening in, when slavery was the thing. When slaves escaped, what did they have? They had slave catchers. And these folks would go out for feet and round up these slaves. So now you have slave catchers in the form of government agents, also known as the police. And the police see these former slaves or agents of the government, whatever you want to, whatever they may have been called, deputies, what have you, agents of the government, see these black folks standing on the corner, and the corner being figurative, on the edge of the plantation, what have you, whatever dirt road it was, round them up. And now they put them in jail and get this, the 13th Amendment, which everyone loves to fall over themselves about, that supposedly clay, um, freed the slaves, actually, it didn't actually free folks. So what the 13th Amendment did, let's take a look at the 13th Amendment, because it's freaking incredible. The 13th Amendment, let me pull it up. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall not have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States. So as long as a court of white folks, because remember, they need the court systems in order to get this free labor. So they're going to stack the court against you, the jury against you. So now you've got the government saying, if we convict you, you can now work for free because the 13th Amendment allows it. So these laws, the black codes are enacted so that they get free labor. Now, today, folks aren't being caught and sent to plantations. Now, that's actually not true. If we look at the criminal justice today, in 2020, if you get arrested, and, 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 and this is the, the interesting thing, and, and I, I'm familiar with Georgia the most. So if you get arrested in Georgia, or let's say it's a violation, right? Whatever, you get arrested. Pick a, an offense that you get arrested for in Georgia. You get arrested in Georgia, state penalty assessment. Here's the, the thing. Oh, sorry. So you get arrested here in Georgia. Georgia has a system that's really interesting and it's not just georgia it's 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 all um i shouldn't say all states but many states have a system in place that when you get arrested and and i want to go back to another point but i don't want to take up too much time but here here we go when you get arrested here in the state of georgia you got to pay these fees now remember when slavery was enacted you had free labor then you had the black coats you get more free labor and then when you have uh, uh, folks in prison, you get free labor again because the municipalities in the state of Georgia are broke. So here's the thing. In the state of Georgia, we have these, these work camps, right? These uh, are worker programs where when you get arrested, you get an option. You can stay in prison or you can go out and work. Now, the motivation for you to go out and work, and this has um, been brought to light by the National Incarceration Association, and other organizations also. When you get arrested, they are in prison, they give you this option. You can stay here in prison, but if you stay in prison and you don't go out and work, the warden's gonna look down upon you. But the municipalities, going back to this the earlier point, the municipalities are looking at this and saying, well, wait a minute. If you got all these folks in prison, they could be cleaning up our streets. They could be cleaning up our buildings. So the government said, you know, you got a point. We can cut down the cost of, of, of what it would cost to go into the free market and get these people to work, and they'll work basically for free. And that's how the prison system works here in Georgia. And you might have seen them in their jumpsuits uh, uh, working on the, cleaning up the roads. So in the state of Georgia, a municipality only has to pay, get this, $39,000. And for $39,000, you get 10 workers. And the contract, the verbiage of the contract is so incredible that it states, and I'm paraphrasing, that if it's cold, no matter if it's freezing, it doesn't make a difference. We're gonna do our best to make sure that these folks, these incarcerated individuals are out there working for you. So has slavery ended? Hell no, it hasn't ended. The only thing that's changed is that people in power have decided how to flip the system in a way that now it's, 
lipstick on a pig. So instead of just rounding up folks from a continent, we already got enough folks here in this country, black folks, and let's be honest, these policies enact mostly black folks, brown folks also, but mostly black men, you're getting their labor for free. And, and if we go back to the black codes, there was a, a, another, I think it was called the, um, the apprentice clause. And what it allowed for was that children, so these folks have, have kids that you've now, you've now scooped them up and you're like, well now, what about the little kids that could be working? So they created these apprentice laws that allowed them to scoop up the children of the former slaves so that they could get them in the fields working also, because even though child labor was illegal for the most part, the workaround to that were these apprentice classes that said, hey, we can work children and call it an apprentice. Fast forward to today. How do they get children? So they get children in the, in the, the, the school, the prison pipeline. Statistically, if we look at the numbers for the school, the prison pipeline, we look at black children, you get the harshest penalties for the same things that white kids do. And it's not just me making this up. The government, the Justice Department, came out with the numbers themselves and said that we found that when a black student does whatever, X, Y, Z, this punishment is harsher than the white kid. So that's why I don't believe and I don't consider slavery as ended, because I'm looking at this saying the only thing that's changed is how we enslave folks. We create these policies for free labor, and we're still doing it to this day. Now y'all see why I pay him so well. <laughs> Joker, he gets paid in Long Island Ice Tea. Thank you, Tim. That was a really good uh, chronological analysis of slavery and, and today. And that's something that one reason that I changed it from reparations to slavery, but slavery and beyond. Because even after slavery, they still began to work people for free and exploit them. And even to, to, to today, we are still seeing a lot of this enslavement, um, this exploitation, like you said, of people of color and of the poor, things like that. So we're, we're, not, we're running out of time, but any final comments, any rebuttals? I got a simple way that we can work out this reparations thing, right? Treat it as we did the 9-11 fund. We had a paymaster, and we find out all those folks that were affected, their families, the descendants, and we pay them. It's that simple. I don't see where, the, where, where this is. I don't care about whether my neighbor gets upset that I'm being paid for what was wrong to my ancestors. That has nothing to do with me. So I don't, unless, I truly appreciate if, if I'm missing something, if someone can fill in the blanks on what am I missing? Any comments? Yeah, hey, this is Jay. Okay. Hey, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, great. Hey, Tim, how are you doing? I am doing swell. How are you, Jay? I'm doing good. I miss you, man. Me too, man. We got to hang out. Yeah. So, um, so my question is like, is basically like, will a one-time payment um, affect the generational disparity? Whereas like with the 9-11 payments, you're, you're talking something that's pretty straightforward, right? Like there's a loss of life and limb. And at that point, you could almost set up like it's, it's tragedy, but that's a pretty common pay table from an annuity, right? And I think like what you're talking about um, earlier is absolutely true. You know, um, slavery didn't die, it transformed and evolved. And the, the war on drugs was absolutely the new Jim Crow, and we've seen it push forward to injustice today. So my question is, how does a one-time payment change that? Uh, change Jim Crow? No, change, change the injustice we have today. Okay, so I'm not really interested in changing the injustice we have today, right? So I think we conflate yeah. a lot of issues when we when we, when we um, talk about reparations. I don't really care about the injustice of, injustices of today, right? What I'm looking at is after, um, after slavery, my family should have received 40 acres and a mule. Okay. And this is something that I believe Spike Lee also, I'm stealing this from Spike Lee, if I recall correctly. 40 acres and a mule. We didn't receive 40 acres and a mule. I want the equivalent of 40 acres and a mule today. You can keep the mule. So give me 40 acres of a national park or a state park. 
I don't care. Just give me 40 acres. Okay. So folks who were redlined, right? So right. my family was redlined in the 80s. And this is the thing, everyone, when they think about redlining, they think of, oh my gosh, this happened in the 40s and the 30s and the 20s and the 50s. And folks should, that, that doesn't happen today. It's actually not true. Redlining was going strong even in the housing boom. Wells Fargo was caught redlining. Um, they call their loans to black folks ghetto loans, and they call the applicants for these loans mud people. So redlining never ended. Those people were faulted. They were wrong. So I'm looking at reparations for my family's 40 acres. Y'all need to break me off. And those individuals that were redlined, if they can show evidence that they were redlined, even my, where my grandparents live today. Uh, my grandparents live in an area of Miami. If anyone's familiar with Miami, they know that uh, in the, I think the 50s, there used to be a, a wall that separate, literally a wall that separated the black section from the white section. My grandparents bought their home in the late 70s. They could have afforded to purchase their home in the white area. Their realtor did not take them to the white area. Miami Shores, because Miami Shores did not want blacks living in that area. This is well documented. And I remember as a kid, Miami Shores literally built a barricade around their neighborhood because they didn't want blacks to live in the neighborhood. In fact, I think the barricade just went down sometime in the 2000s. So reparations in the form uh, um, for my 40 acres, my family's 40 acres, and anyone that can prove that they were redlined. These are all institutional acts uh, of racism that were perpetuated um, and, and encouraged by our government. The government should be held accountable. If we want to sue an individual corporation, that's fine, but my beef is with the government. Okay. Interesting. That, that, that's, a, that's like a direct, you know, uh, specific and measurable goal, right? is that we find the, the descendants of slavery, people who were affected, and we give them 40 acres. It's not that hard because yeah. most black Americans can trace back their lineage up to the Civil War. It's before the Civil War that blacks have a hard time finding their lineage. So my family, the slave owner's family, still lives down the street from us, presently. <laughs> so we, there are actually two family reunions. There's a black family reunion and there's a white family reunion for my mom's side, the, the maternal side of my family. So it's not that hard. Um, my mom currently lives in a rural area of Florida. Guess what? The slave owners still, and this is the funny thing, right? The blacks still live literally, literally, physically on the plantation. So if you go to Gaston County, there's the St. Mark's area, right? So St. Mark's is a, an area of a literal plantation that when slavery ended, the plantation owner said, hey, why don't you, you guys don't really need to leave. Just settle on this back five acres of my property. And they called it St. Mark's. So it's not that hard for black folks, black Americans to find um, um, lineage to or connection to ancestors that were affected by um, slavery. Okay, so this this is interesting to me because like a lot of people who argue about re reparations, right? They um they add in the time value of money, right? The financial term of like this is how much something was worth, you know, at this time. But you're saying just honor the contractual obligation that you the United States went into at the time value of money already takes place in that, right? So right. inflation yeah. is already accounted for if it's a straight forty acres. So I'm not like, going to get it. Yeah, I, I, yeah. So 40 acres in rural Georgia, uh, I'm good with that because it would have been rural Georgia anyway. Now, if we want to put a pin on it, you can say, well, this 40 acres might have been downtown Atlanta or Buckhead. So now it would have been worth more. That's getting into the reeds or the weeds. Right. But no, reeds. that's that's a very specific thing. Right. And then so how, how would you open the timeline then? You know, like what, what time would you want that 40 acres to be, be given out? And then would a family have to share it among the descendants? Okay, what, when you say time frame, what do you mean by that? Like, like how, um, I imagine that there is a deadline for like, you know, you were using the case, case example of the 9-11 the victims, right? Like there's a, the victims fund. 
I imagine that there is an end time frame when people have to submit the documentation necessary. Probably right? the same. That, that's I, I, okay. So we can contact the paymaster or paymasters who handle that and they can decide on the time frame. I don't really think that's a big deal. I think that's wading into the minutia if we, you know, we say that's what's holding us up. Yeah, so no, I'm that. not talking like a, a tactical level of like, oh, they need two weeks to do yada, yada, yada. I'm saying like, will, would this be an indefinite thing? Would this be say something like, if you can go back and you can prove, then for- Oh yeah, it's indefinite because slavery was, is indefinite. It's indefinite, okay. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, that would be- You guys are that would, that would be, um, yeah, no, that wouldn't work, right? To say that we're going to give people five years or a year. The institution of slavery has lasted for hundreds and hundreds of years. So to say that we're going to do that, no. And here's another thing, right? So right. take that 40 acres, wherever the 40 acres is in the state of Georgia, that's where my family still is to this day from slavery uh, um, um, until now. So take 40 acres in Edgefield County, I think Edgefield County is actually on the South Carolina side, I'm not sure. Um, but either way, take 40 acres in Edgefield County. Okay. What's the dollar value of Edgefield County? Whatever that is, you can, if you don't want to split it into, into the land, which I don't think most black Americans my age, well, actually I love the country. I've always loved the country, but I don't think most black Americans my age are interested. Millennials are interested in living in the country. Give them a, a um, a financial instrument backed by the U.S. government, a bond, an MTN, what have you. No, give bond. me gold. I do not take a check from the federal government. Great. Well, hey, here's the thing. So, like I said, I would highly recommend, you know, before we end the call, like I said, Black Labor, White Wealth from, uh, you know, by Dr. Claude Anderson. And he has, like I said, he's got a litany of things he can say. One of the things he says is um, recommendations. So towards the end of his book, he said, reparation payments should be directed into black communities in the form of in infrastructure improvements, business and industry development loans, educational grants and stipends, and expanded public services to repair the socioeconomic damages that the dominant society and government have inflicted on 16 generations of black Americans. Now, it's important that we, <clears throat> we make the distinction too there are many different times in American history and in government where they try to conflict, they try to use ambiguous terms to try and water down certain things. And so the term minority is really kind of a catch-all term to say black folks, you know, LGBT, women, and it all kind of gets watered down to the point where the original intent got lost. So whatever we end up doing, it's got to be specifically for foundational black Americans to be made whole from the the uh, the uh, negative effects of slavery so it's got to be it's got to be clear so what about on that. people like jade is part black <laughs> well like i said we, we've got it, to it's got to be because so, look so do we the, send jay a check <laughs> jay jay can roll with me you know what i'm saying we i don't know jay jay's, jay. jay, jay's a cool dude but here's the thing here's the thing so the thing is uh, america Every 10 years, we have a census, right? right? So with that data, they've got the data, right? So they've got data that they do with what, whatever they want to do when it comes down to if they want to gerrymander districts, if they want to do all sorts of, you know, shaky behind-the-scenes, you know, greasy stuff, they figure out ways to do that. But when it comes time to some kind of reparations, then all of a sudden it's like, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to figure out who's who, whatever? You figure it out. I mean, like I said, there were plenty of ways y'all used to marginalize black people, so it's your responsibility to figure it out. And so that, that's ultimately what I'd like to, what I'd like to you know, leave on my end with. And we, 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 yeah, we do need the end, but we figure out everything else that's been a lot tougher situation. Thank you guys so much. Appreciate it. I think it was another good uh, conversation.